Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. tonight, we do come to a a very interesting portion of Scripture. Uh, Obviously, here in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and he is giving him some instructions concerning his ministry there uh, in the city of, or in the uh, area of Ephesus. That's mentioned in verse number 3. He gives, uh, he gives Uh, him these instructions and then in verse number 11 uh, he mentions the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to his trust. He mentions that here uh, in the text that the glorious gospel of Christ was committed to his trust. Now uh, this is not part of the message tonight but do let me say this uh, that you and I as believers we have the gospel of Christ committed to our trust as well. Uh, God has given us the gospel and He expects us to dispense the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to share that gospel with a lost and dying world. And we ought to let Christ so work in us that our very lives will also be a living testimony uh, to those that we are around. However, when Paul here in verse number 11 talks about the gospel being uh, committed to his trust. It was uh, committed to his trust in a way uh, that is very different than the way that it was committed uh, to our uh, trust. Amen. Uh, When the Bible talks about uh, the gospel being committed to Paul's trust, what it means is is that Jesus uh, gave Paul uh, the gospel, that God gave him this gospel. Paul in another one of his letters actually called this uh, the gospel of Christ my gospel, that it was Paul's gospel, not in the not in the, uh, the uh, realm of which he created that message. That was created by God, but it was in the sense of what is being said here in verse number 11, that the first person to receive the truth uh, of the death, burial, and resurrection as the gospel, and that to be portrayed, and that uh, to be given in that way, uh, was the apostle Paul. That was a revelation given to Paul, and so therefore God committed it to his trust, uh, uh, into his life. And so we see that. But then in verse number 12, as he talks about the glorious gospel, the blessed God being committed to his trust, he begins to talk about the effects of the gospel uh, that had worked in his life. Uh, Even though the message in the terms of the Bible doctrine was uh, committed to Paul, it was the truth of this that truly saved Paul's uh, soul. Amen. Uh, Paul didn't get saved any other way than anybody else got saved. And you'll never hear this preacher preach that anybody in any testament got saved any other way. It's still by grace through faith. But in terms of the gospel being laid out the way that it is and being preached plainly the way that it is in Scripture, uh, that was given to the Apostle Paul. 
But verse number 13 tells us that the same gospel that was committed into his trust to make sure that the churches understood the gospel and to make sure that message went forth and uh, became scripture and to make sure uh, that it was preached in the churches as uh, they were in their infancy and still uh, being built and still being founded and still being strengthened by Paul's ministry. We see that Paul himself uh, was affected by uh, the truth of what the gospel represents. And that is that Jesus Christ is willing to save anybody. Amen. Verse number 13, he says, gives a little bit of his testimony that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. He was someone that literally took part in physical harm of others in the name of the Jewish religion. He said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly unbelief. And I'll say this tonight. Aren't you glad that if you're saved by the grace of God in here this evening, that you can say the same thing, that you have received mercy. Amen. God has not given to us the judgment that we deserve. He placed His wrath upon Christ on Calvary so that He could extend to us grace and mercy. Amen. He said, I, I obtained mercy. Verse 14, he said, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Not only did God give him mercy, and he obtained mercy, but when he talks about exceeding abundant, that means, and I'm just using some real country language, but what that means is, is God just poured it on him. Amen. God just poured his grace upon the Apostle Paul. He was as wicked as a person could ever be. That's verse number 15. He says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. What that literally means, Paul says, when God saved me, He saved the worst sinner that ever had been. And I believe through a biblical inspiration, He is telling us that God has saved the worst sinner that ever would be. To anyone that will come to any of us or may be here tonight saying, I've gone too far, I've sinned too great, I forgot to save me, you can take them to 1 Timothy 1.15 and say, no, God has already saved the worst sinner that ever had been and ever would be. And if God can save Paul, he can save you. He was the chief of sinners. The Bible says here in verse number 16, and notice... Uh, excuse me, 15, but notice verse 16. He gives that wonderful verse 15. And oh, how I love verse 15. Faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is the reason why Jesus came. But in verse 16, he says, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy. He is about to give us the cause of why God gave mercy to the Apostle Paul. And, and this is not the only reason. Uh, obviously, it's not the only reason. Uh, there are more reasons as to why God saves any of us. And God saved Paul for the same reason that he'd save any of us. It is his love. Amen. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen. And so we understand that. But Paul is saying there is a certain purpose in God's redemption of my soul that God wanted to work through my salvation. 
And he lays it out for us in verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul has said in verse 15, I was the worst sinner to ever live. I have the blackest heart of anyone to ever live. I had the most wicked desires of anyone who ever lived. Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, wanted to stamp out any notion of Christ in the known world. He wanted the church to be rendered uh, pointless and insignificant before it even had hardly begun. That's what Paul wanted. But he said that God wanted to do a work in me first that he might show or demonstrate all long-suffering. In other words, he's saying as bad as I was, if God was willing to put up with me and still give me mercy and still let me do a work for Him, if God was willing to suffer long with me and to put up with me uh, for uh, long and be merciful and gracious, he says here that he wanted to make how long-suffering God was to him something to be seen, something to be noticed and understood. He calls it in verse 16 a pattern. He wanted Paul to be the pattern of what salvation looks like in a person. And, and really, there is much that could be said about the testimony of Paul and how it gives this pattern. You, we, you can talk about uh, how Paul is a pattern of how far God's willing uh, to go uh, to save a sinner. Amen. With how God brought salvation to him. You can talk about uh, how, uh, how uh, long uh, God is willing to, uh, God is, how, how many sins God's ready, uh, willing uh, to forgive. So many things you could put in here. But when he says, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him, speaking of on Christ, to everlasting, to be a pattern of all of those who will get saved of what salvation looks like. By the way, can I say this? I mentioned Sunday morning that my name was written in the Bible, but it wasn't talking about me. Can I say this? Verse 16 is talking about me. Verse 16 is talking about you. You are in the Bible. Did you know that? All of them, you can read here. You're also in John chapter number 17. If you want to, amen. Jesus prayed for you, John 17. Amen. But it said all of those that would believe on Christ from this from the moment of Paul's salvation forward, he said he wanted all of us to have a pattern of what salvation looks like in Paul. Here he is connecting Paul's pattern to uh, Paul's a past of persecution and uh, his testimony of being a lost sinner. In other words, it is being kept within that context of God has already saved the worst person to ever be. And he wants him to be a pattern for those who believe, and notice this now, believe on him to life everlasting. Now, what I, what I want to remind us of here in verse number 16 uh, is so uh, what we briefly uh, dealt with this past Wednesday night, uh, talking about God's description of salvation. 
And how God describes salvation should be enough to us to convince our hearts that we are secure in the salvation God gave. When Peter denied, he did not remove Peter from the family of God and from being able to go to heaven when he died. He did not do that. And here we find him saving the worst sinner to ever live. And today, I believe we would all submit that if anybody went to heaven, that the apostle, humanly speaking, that the apostle Paul did go to heaven. He is God. I mean, listen to me now. These aren't my words or my opinions. This is the Word of God. He said that I want Paul to be the example of how someone gets saved. Now, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals, the Methodists, all of those that believe you can lose your salvation, they would say, Bad action, bad thought knocks you out of the family of God. One sin knocks you out of God's ability to forgive. Here we find Paul saying, I was in my past, I was the worst sinner to ever live, and God is wanting me to be the pattern for salvation, for everyone to come after me, that God can forgive somebody of all of these wicked sins and all of these wicked attitudes and wicked thought processes of the mind and of the thought, and God can do all of that. And we must, somebody may look at that and say, well, that refers to past sins. Go with me to Romans chapter 7. You Bible students know exactly where I'm going. Again, I mentioned this past Wednesday night. This will not be a deep study. <clears throat> Romans chapter number 7. I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like Romans chapter 7 is one of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible to me. And here's the reason why I say that is because his, Paul was saved out of so much sin. But God approved in Paul what Jesus said when he said, Those that have been forgiven much, amen, they're thankful much, they rejoice much, amen. Uh, those that have been forgiven of great paths of sin usually do make uh, the best Christians, the most faithful uh, Christians, amen. And here we find the Apostle Paul has lived that out. And many would say, well, that refers to his past sins. But what about if Paul sinned presently? Well, Paul has a lot to say about that. Notice, notice here what he says in... Let's, let, let's look at verse number, verse number 14. Romans chapter 7, Paul says this... We know that the law is spiritual. But now listen now. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. Notice what Paul says. But I am carnal. Sold under sin. Does anybody else other than me feel that if Paul is carnal, we should probably all take an inventory of where we are. Amen. If Paul, I'm telling you, if Paul's carnal, amen, we might just need to have a real prayer meeting tonight and just all get in the altar. Amen. Verse 15, Paul said, and notice why he's saying he's carnal. Why he's saying that there is still a battle with the flesh. That, that's what carnality really is, is that there's a battle between the flesh. And oftentimes we let the flesh win more than we should. And when you let the flesh win more than you let the Spirit does, then you are carnal. Amen. If you let the Spirit win more, then you can be spiritual. Verse 15 says, For that which I do, he's explaining, he's explaining his carnality. For that which I do, I allow not. 
For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. Remember, I said to me, this is one of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible, to realize that Paul struggles with the same things that I struggle with. That Paul struggled with the same things that no doubt you struggled with. Had a horrendous past. But God forgave it and poured out mercy and poured out grace and had enough grace to cover every sin that he did before he got saved. But here now is a dilemma. Paul is saying the things that I want to do, I don't do. And if he's saved, then that means that the Spirit is propelling him to do the things that he said that spiritually he wants to do. I don't want to be carnal. I want to be spiritual. I want to say yes to the Spirit far more than I say yes to the flesh. That's what I want. But Paul said the things I want to do, I find myself not doing. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. He says there in verse 16, if, I then, uh, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. For uh, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For notice this now, does this, does this sound like any of us tonight? If you're saved, it should. If you're walking with God, it should. He says, for to will. In other words, the will to do right. The will to obey God and His Word. The will to represent Christ in a positive way. He said, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good uh, that I would do, uh, that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Paul said, I find myself committing evil presently. If the Methodists are right, if the Pentecostals are right, if the Charismatics are right, if all of those that believe in Joseph Arminia's doctrine of losing your salvation, if all of that is, if they are right, then Paul's on his way to hell. Now, how much sense does it make that in this passage, if all of those that believe in losing salvation are right, if Paul in Romans 7 having a battle with the flesh, if that knocks him out of the family of God, if that sinfulness of mind and action causes him to lose his salvation, then how is it that the sovereign God of this world said that I want him to be the pattern of salvation to how people view the doctrine of salvation and what the God that saves can do in a person's life. I want him to be the pattern. How much sense does it make if the battle with his flesh gets him out of the family of God? Causes him to lose his salvation. How can he even be a pattern not just to those that were alive in his day? But Romans 1.16, for all of those that would henceforth believe on Christ to life everlasting, how would he be the pattern of salvation if in Romans 7 Paul can lose his salvation? Jesus said henceforth. I've already told you that means me, that means you. 
If in Romans 7, Paul is losing his salvation, he's not very much of a pattern for us. That means that God gave Paul something in his salvation that would last to show even you and I something in 2022. There's only one way that happens. Salvation is eternal. He, he said, Paul said, 1 Timothy 1.16, it's to life everlasting. I mentioned that last week in John 3.16. Amen. That whosoever believeth would not perish, but have everlasting life. You either have life or you don't. Salvation is God granting life to you. And not just temporary life or the life of the flesh, but it is an eternal life. Amen. Our, 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 our spirits have received a regeneration. Amen. That is living forever. Here he says that God wanted him to be the pattern. Notice what he goes on to say here in verse number. Verse number. I'll just read verse number 19. For the good that I, that I would, I do not. And the evil which I would... Not that I do. He calls it evil there. If anything gets you knocked out of the family and their belief, it would be evil. Verse 20 says, Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 21, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. By the way, verse 22, that is an indicator of salvation. Romans chapter 1 says that a lost man by their, by their nature does not seek after God. There is no propensity for God in a person that is unsaved. They are none seeking after God. They've all gone out of the way. The Bible says here, Paul said, For I delight in the law of God. That's Romans, that, or excuse me, that's Psalm 1. That is a blessed man, verse number 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. I'm telling you that no man delights in the law of God after the inner man that God has not put salvation in the inner man. Here Paul is talking about a, a, a battle of the flesh and a committing, a committing of evil in mind and in action, but he is still testifying that he is saved. You, listen to me now, I know this doesn't sound spiritual, but I'm telling you it is scriptural, amen. The Bible says it, and I know we have a lot of folks out there uh, that the main reason why they believe that you lose your salvation is because they want to bring up that thought. Well, you Baptists just think that you can do whatever you want to do and still be saved. I dealt with that last week, amen. You get saved, God gives you a new want-to-do list, amen. He gives you a new heart that changes what you want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. Now that I'm saved, the problem is anything that makes me break fellowship with God, that's not what the inner man wants. And it, sometimes it is what the outer man does, but it's not what the inner man wants. Amen. God here tells us that yes, you can be saved and still battle your flesh. Can I say this? The battle of the flesh is not an indicator that you've lost your salvation, but rather it is an indicator that you possess salvation. You say, preacher, why is that? It's because a lost person does not battle their flesh. They give in to it. The fact that there is a war 
means that I'm being pulled in another direction. If I'm being pulled toward right, then that means there's been something on the inside of me that changed from the way that I was born. I don't always do right, but I'm thankful there's a Spirit of God in me that when I do wrong, places me under conviction, and that is God, the Holy Ghost, method of pulling me toward what's right. Here we find, notice now, I'm trying to get through this passage, but notice what he says there in verse number 23. But I see another law in my members warring. Remember, it's that war that is a testimony of our salvation. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing into captivity. That's that conviction I mentioned a minute ago. Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Notice this now, and I've got to move on. Paul says, oh, that in the Bible is a term of deep agony. It doesn't get more heart-wrenching than, oh, Paul says, wretched man that I am. You know, the problem in that verse is the third word of verse 24. Why is Paul having the problem? M-A-N. He's a man. That's the issue. And that does not change until we get to heaven and God changes what it means to be a man. Here on earth, man means we still have a fleshly nature. We still have a sinful nature. Because I'm a member of mankind, that's the problem. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. He's not claiming to be perfect. He's not claiming to be divine. He's not claiming to be anything more than what he is. He said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That, uh, that is a, a terminology used in uh, Bible days literally for carrying dead bodies as punishment on your back for committing murder. It was part of the crime of the day. When you committed murder, they didn't send you to a they didn't send you to a firing squad, an electric chair, or a room to be put in lethal injection. They would make you go on a long march with the person that you killed, and you would either carry them on your back, or a lot of times they would put strap them to you face to face, hand to hand, and they would make you walk until you died of exhaustion. Or from being contaminated by the body. Sickness due from contamination. He said, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That was called the body of death. Who shall deliver me from this? In other words, Paul saying, everywhere I go, I carry my sin nature with me. Everywhere I go, it's tied to me, and it is killing me. That's, that, that is a picture of what our flesh is in the life of a Christian. We're carrying it everywhere we go. We are not going to be truly delivered from it. Notice now, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, verse 25, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It'll take Jesus to to help you get victory over your flesh. That's what Paul is saying. It doesn't mean that Paul is any less saved. He is the pattern of salvation. Take your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. There's much more I could say there, but I think we understand 
that here we see Paul, if he is the pattern of salvation, this instant of him battling the flesh, uh, that does not cause him to lose his salvation. In the context, he is still describing himself as a saved man. He's still describing himself as one that Jesus is giving the victory to by day by day. First John chapter number 5. I want you to lay your eyes on this verse. Verse number 11. 1 John 5, 11. And this is the record that God had given to us eternal life. Now, let me stop right there and say, if all of those who believe your salvation, you can lose your salvation, they have to believe that God is an Indian giver. He gave you something just to take away. Now, let me ask you this. How many of y'all at Christmas time especially you young people, would love for mom and dad or some friend or some person in your family you know to load you up with gifts, especially one that's so wonderful. I can't even put into a humanistic uh, human words how, how great the gift of salvation is and, and, and describe it to anything, amen? But you think about whatever your favorite gift you've ever received and could you imagine how bad it would be if somebody gave it to you and then the next day or the next moment took it away? And then for the rest of your life, it was a pattern of giving it and taking it away. Giving it and taking it away. Giving it and taking it away. We, let me, let me say this. We are not foolish enough to give gifts that way. Why would we expect that God is worse off in his character than we are? I'm not going to give you a gift and take it away a thousand times a month. Just to give it back. For us to believe that, we believe that God is an Indian giver, and worse than that, He is of subpar character to even ourselves. Here, the Bible said He has given to us eternal life. He's given it to us. If He's not worse in character than I am, and He has the character that God ought to have, when He gives it, He leaves it in your possession. Now, look at the rest of the verse. He's given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. In other words, the gift that God gave, if it is not, if it's not, uh, if, if it didn't have, if it wasn't because of Jesus, you wouldn't give the gifts. You wouldn't get that gift, rather. This life is in His Son. That tells me it is not in my sinlessness or my ability to live holy. It is not in my situations or my ability to handle the situations of life in the most appropriate manner all the time. Manner all the time. And if it's in the Savior, if it's in the Son, it's not in my sinlessness, it's not in my situations, and it's not in my spirituality and my ability to stay spiritual. It's not in the state of my emotions. It's in His Son. Where is the salvific gift of God anchored in? It's anchored in Jesus Christ. If it changes, he's got to change. If it is taken away, you've got to take him away. I dare you to try to take him away. If he wants to hold on to me, I dare you to try to remove him from me. You'll never do it. The gift, I'm telling you, if, if all 
of the, those the so-called Christians in the world could understand that the gift of salvation for me to lose it, then it means it has to be in me. But because it's in God's Son. It doesn't have it doesn't have any bearings on what I do or what I do not do. If I did what he said I needed to do in order to receive the gift and get the gift that God gave me, and that gift is in his son, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with Jesus. Whether I keep it or whether I lose it, it's because of Jesus. For me to keep it, then it has to, it'll be around as long as Jesus is around. And if I lose it, then that means I have to lose Jesus in the mix of it all. Can I remind you that when God gave you eternal life, that life is in His Son. It's because of His Son. That means the life that you received when you got saved, that salvation you have will be alive as long as Jesus is. Can I remind you, he's not going anywhere. He is the eternal Son of God. If my salvation's in him, that means my salvation will be around as long as he's around. And I'm telling you, whether you have or not, I hope you have, but I can tell you on the authority of this Bible, I've read the back of the book, and when it's all said and done, there still is an eternal God that is very much alive. He is a lamb standing in the midst of the throne. Amen. He's a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And he's still standing after this world is all said and done. My salvation will live as long as God lives. We see God's we see God's description. I don't know how much of this I'll get, but let's just Y'all just write this down. I've been preaching 32 minutes. That's plenty of preaching, I guess, for a Wednesday night. Especially if you're going to be talking about some stuff afterwards. I'll just let you get home a little bit earlier than normal. <laughs> write this down. God's promise. God's promise. We'll pick up here next time we get in this passage. But here's what God promises. St. Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. We'll, we'll deal with that verse when we come here. If you're taking notes, write this down. The Bible tells us that all of the promises of God are settled, sure, and steadfast. Amen. What that means is, is when God made you a promise concerning your salvation, it's not going anywhere. Amen. God meant what he said. Brother Milton Taylor will have here in the in second week of October. He makes He's known for making this statement about the word of God. He said God meant what he said when he said what he did. Amen. I, I say amen to that. God meant what he said when he said what he did. When he said some things about salvation, he meant what he said when he said what he did. It's settled. It sure means this, that you don't have to worry about it being changed. When God said what he said, he meant what he said, and he intended for what he said to be left that way. And then it's steadfast. He meant what he said. When he said what he said, he meant for it to be left that way. And steadfast means this. It always will be left that way. If God said it 2,000 years ago concerning salvation, you can take it to the bank tonight that it's still the same. We'll pick up there next time we get to this pastor. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com. <laughs>